So when the cat's away, the mice can come out and play. So we're having a great time today. We're having a great time. Um, just as a, a note, in that video, if they look familiar, the, that's Connie Lee's grandson and great-grandson in that video. So. And don't call DCFS. A, that's a video. Yeah, I mean, they're not child abuse or anything like that. Well, good morning, and happy Father's Day. And don't forget, before you leave, we have a gift for you, even though for guys, even though it's not Hershey bar. We did something different this year, okay? So you're going to get something different. And I have my gang in the back there. Gang, wave your hands. My kids are in town. Um, let's open it. Let's first begin with a word of prayer. You know, Jesus had a saying, let him who has an ear, let him hear. You know, he wasn't talking about cartilage that comes out of the sides of your head. He was talking about the reality that sometimes God speaks and we don't want to hear it. We don't want to listen. And that's a spiritual dynamic. So every time before I preach, I want to ask God to, to make me spiritually inclined to kind of listen to what he's saying. Because I'm a knucklehead. You know what I mean? And sometimes he speaks to me and I don't want to hear it. And sometimes he speaks to me and I don't want to do it. And his spirit's got to cattle prod me into doing the thing that honors him the most. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I just pray that you let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, let them be acceptable in your sight. And Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to obey that which you have for us this morning. And this I ask and I pray in your name. Amen. First of all, I want to thank all of you, Harvester, for your continued support of the Fort Wayne School of Urban Ministry. You know, um, we're getting ready to move. Put this on your calendar. August 17th. August 17th. It's a Saturday. That's when we're moving from our facility over here. So... If you have a strong back and a pickup truck, you're my friend. The two of those go together, strong back and a pickup truck. Or if you just have a van that you can take all the seats out, we'll take any. Um, some stuff will be moving in progressively early August, but we have, we have a copier machine and some heavy-duty heavy stuff and books where we'll need a pickup truck and stuff. We'd really like to be able to do it without necessarily renting a truck. So if at all possible, if you have a strong back or a pickup truck, um, We'll be grateful for that. Let's get into the word. A short passage in 1 Corinthians, chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. Now, this is from the New American Standard Version of the Scriptures. You like that? You like that, Scott? NASB, your translation. It says, be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. And that all you do be done in love. What a great passage. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Get off the bottle. Got to get the stake sooner or later. Be strong and let all you do be done in love. I believe that the family and a Especially what it means to be a man today is under a threat. 
You just don't have, you can just look at the news a little bit and realize that the family, the home, and especially what it means to be a man is under a threat today in our society. Manhood, therefore, is in a state of confusion. I never forget I was at a, it was, I was at Moody Bible Institute and, I, and I'm having a, a men's fellowship and with some guys and a guy comes up to me and he says, Bob, have you ever been confused about being a man? And I said, dude, I'm a man. <laughs> There's no confusion about it. I wake up in the morning and when I look in the mirror, I see a man looking back at me. That's my reality. Why, why, why is there any confusion about it? That's who I am. But we have guys today who are confused what it really means to be a man. Confused men create major problems. Confused men settle for less. If you don't know what it means to be a man, you're going to settle for less. And then Robert Lewis in his book, the, the, the seminar we, we were going to as as guys, he says, therefore, there's no lofty vision, no lofty vision of manhood today that is compelling men to be more than who they are. And I believe with him that the Bible has some insights into these problems. Let me tell you something about the Bible. It is the word of God. And it is given to us. Now, let me tell you something. It's not everything that about God. This God is greater than what can be contained in the Bible. There's more about God than is in the scriptures. But what God has revealed to us, what he wants us to know and what he wants us to apply and what he has revealed it to us in his scriptures. And the problem is either I don't know where it is. Because I'm not a student of the scriptures. I, 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 I know there's an answer there, but I, I don't know where it is. Or I know where it is and I'm a knucklehead. And I just don't want to do it. But either way, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness revealed in his word. And if there's any confusion about what it means to be a dad or a father on this Father's Day, the answer is in his word. We just got to find it, and when we find it, we have to obey it. So let's look at this passage real quick. And I promise when I, I'll let you out of here, it'll still be Father's Day. Number one, we need to be alert or on guard. This, path, this part of the verse tells us that we need to be wakeful. Constantly alert. What do we need to be alert to? The evil reasoning and talking and thinking that might gain an advantage in our hearts. We need to be awake to the dangers that are around us. I walk my dog at night. Late at night. Before I go to bed. And I carry a flashlight. A plastic bag. And a whistle. And people say, what's the whistle for? In case there's danger. Hey, I'm too old to run. 
So the best defense I got is a whistle. But I'm alert to the fact I'm walking at night. I'm alert to who's around me and who's there. I know the people in my neighborhood. I know the cars in my neighborhood. And, I, and I'm kind of looking around because I want to be aware of the danger that might come. We need to especially be aware of the dangers that come from the enemy. In Ephesians 6, it talks about the schemes of the devil. The schemes of the devil. He has a plan to disrupt and to destroy our lives. And we need to be awake, alert, and aware that he's out to get us. I don't believe there's a devil behind every rock. But I do believe that a lot of the mess in our society and a lot of mess in men's lives is directly related to the devil. I also believe we need to be aware that we live in an evil society. Let's get real. That is motivated by humanism and hedonism and egotism and stuff and materialism and all the stuff. We need to be aware that we live in a world that's not helping us. From the commercials to what we read in the newspapers to what we hear in songs, all of that stuff can drift us further and further away from the Lord. I grew up on the East Coast deep sea fishing. I had to learn how to do this lake river fishing when I moved to the Midwest. But my dad had a little outboard motor that we'd put on the back of a rented aluminum boat. And we would go fishing in the Atlantic Ocean. And we would take that putt-putt thing all the way out to near Coney Island. And we'd be out in the ocean in this little boat. And he would line up the boat with the parachute jump at Coney Island. You could see it from miles away. It, was, it wasn't working at the time, but it was there. And we'd line up our boat and we'd go fishing. And we'd fish for a little bit and then we'd look up and we realized because of the current or the wind, you drift away from your line of sight. We turn on the motor and we chug it out a little bit, line up again with the parachute jump. And every often we had to stop and become aware of where we are because you could find yourself in that little thing. You didn't want to be out deep in the water. You wanted to be a certain distance away because if you got too far with my dad's outboard motor, that old Johnson, you may not be able to get back to shore. You had to be aware of what was around you. The society, you know what? You can't listen to every single music that's on the radio and television. You can't watch every commercial. You can't watch every show. You can't read every book or magazine because it will cause you to drift and you'll find yourself in a dangerous place. But you know, that's not the, you know, I know that the devil's out there and society is evil. You know who the biggest problem in my life is? Bob. If anybody's going to mess up Bob's stuff, it's going to be Bob. Okay? If we're honest, right? We mess up our own stuff. We choose stuff and make decisions that are just that just mess up our faith and relationship with God. And not only do we do need to be aware of the stuff that's out there, we need to be aware of the stuff that's in here. The passions and desires, the choices and the plans that I continually make that drift me further from God. We need to be alert to the danger. Number two, we need to stand firm in the faith. The faith here, I don't want you to mix it up. 
is not your sincerity about your relationship with Jesus. This is the faith. It is the body of truth. The body of truth that the early church and now the body of believers holds as essential to what I believe to be a historical Christianity. It's in Acts chapter 2, it says that they continued in the apostles' doctrine. That there's this body of truth, things that you need to believe that define us as Christians. The truth, the faith. This includes stuff like the virgin birth, the Holy Trinity. The deity of Jesus, the fact that he is God, that salvation is by grace through faith and not based on your works, that there's a literal place called heaven and a literal place called hell. These things are essential and a host of others are essential to what makes Christianity Christian. And that's why there's some groups and some people I can't hang with because they reject or deny or do not hold to what I believe are fundamental to what it means to be Christian. I get invitations all the time for the Fort Wayne School of Urban Ministry. I get them from the mayor all the time. Come to this prayer group and to this prayer group and to this thing. We want to help the city and we want to, we want to stop the gangs and we want to stop the violence. And you know what? I'm all about that. But I can't go to prayer sessions with a Buddhist. I can't go to a prayer session with a Hindu. I can't go to a prayer session with somebody who denies that Jesus is God. Because who are you going to pray to? I close my prayers with a line. In the name of Jesus. By his authority. By his power. In his name. In who he is. That's how I pray. I'm not just speaking to the ceiling. Or reciting some words that sound good to me. I'm praying to a real person that I believe is God. And that he has the power to change the things around me when I ask him. So if you deny Jesus, oh, we, we, we can't hang. I never forget, I was, I was invited to a conference once by Moody. And it was, how religious groups can help the city. It was, it was in Harold Washington Library. And they made a mistake by inviting me. And they had all this assigned seating, and everybody had to sit where in a special seat. And I'm sitting next to these Buddhists, this Buddhist guy on one hand, and a Muslim guy on another. And, and they went around, and they, they, had a, they had no evangelicals on the platform. And, and they went to the Buddhist guy, and, and, and they got to this one guy, and he, the, 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 I think it was maybe the Buddhist guy. He says, you know, the way we can stop the gang violence in Chicago is that if everybody starts meditating, that positive energy will go out. And as that positive energy goes out, the, the, the drug dealer will stop selling drugs, and the gangbangers will stop gangbanging, and the violence will stop. And then as they start meditating, that positive energy that will join the other positive energy, and, 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 and the whole city would be fine. And everybody raised, clapped their hand. Oh, the whole audience. And I raised my hand and they looked on the chart and said, yes, Mr. Smith from Moody Bible Institute. Do you have a question? I said, yeah. I said, does anybody believe this? Does anybody in this room believe that if we all hold our hands and sing Kumbaya, gangbangers are going to stop killing each other? 
And it was like I took my whole hand and just smacked the whole audience. And he said, so, so what do you think we should do? And I said, I know one thing. That when a man, a woman, a boy, or a girl comes into a personal, conscious, dynamic relationship with Jesus, their whole life changes. The old is gone and the new is in. And not only do they become a totally new creation, he embeds in them the presence of his Holy Spirit. And they now have supernatural power to help them not to do the things they would normally do and to do the things which are not normal for them to do. That is redemption. That's what happened to you and me when we came into a relationship with Jesus. He changed us through the power of his spirit. And daily, his spirit helps us to have victory in the name of Jesus as we live this life. You know, I'm pro-life. That means I'm against abortion and euthanasia. I'm pro-traditional marriage. I believe that marriage is between a man and a woman who are both born a man and a woman. I think that the practice of homosexuality is a sin. I'm for a strong military. I'm against large government spending. I am a Bears fan, a White Sox fan, a Hawks fan, and a Tin Caps fan. But you know what? None of those are essential to the faith. Do you know what I'm saying? And many times we believers have taken things which are not essential to what it means to be a dynamic, disciplined follower of Jesus and made them essential, and they're not. So the next time you're arguing with your gay coworker, or you're arguing with somebody about pro-life stance, remember that may be important, but it is not important as the faith. A personal, conscious, dynamic relationship with the creator of the universe who can change everything when you call upon his name. Brothers and sisters, I have an opinion about everything. Just ask me sometime. That's not the faith. This is the faith that gives life. It gives hope. Number three. Act like a man. I was so tempted to call this. Walk like a man. I was so tempted. Man, I had a video of the whole thing. But I said, you know what? With Dave Pell's kind of running worship, we got to divvy out the change in, in little doses. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, The idea here is that there is a particular way a man ought to act. A particular role that a man is going to fulfill. Now, hold on. I want you to brace yourselves. Men and women are different. Let me run that back to you. Men... 
and women are different. That statement today is so radical. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe we're equal under the law and that kind of stuff. But by essence, who we are, men and women are different. And if God created them both male and female, as it says in Genesis, he had a particular role that he wanted the male to do and a particular role that he wanted the female to do in other to fulfill his economy in creation. Men and women are different. And that I believe the role of a man requires, as it says in Corinthians, and this is from the message. Don gave this to me, so I'll give him credit. He says, when I was an infant on my mother's breaths, I girdled and cooed like an infant. When I grew up, I left those infant ways for good. When I was a man, I talked like a man. I thought like a man. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away those childish things. To be a man means you got to remove childish talking. And the Greek text will tell you that that means words that declare who you are. It expresses your view of the world. You got to put away that childish stuff. You got to put away that childish thinking, your opinions about yourself. Oh, there was a day when I was going to be, I was going to be a, a rock star. I had it all figured out, man. I had the rock star equipment, the rock star hairdo, the rock star clothes. I played the rock star music. I could play the guitar behind my back and with my teeth. But when I became a man, when I became a man, I put away those childish things. There are still some guys who think they're 16. They still think they're going to be in the NBA. They still think they're going to be in Hollywood. They still think they're going to be a rap artist. When you become a man, your thinking changes, your speech changes, your reasoning, how you put stuff together has to change. I thank the Lord that God gives dads nine months to get it together. Because babies do not come out with owner's manuals. It's not like a washing machine or a new stereo. Bam, they're here. And you absolutely have to change the way you think and the way you reason and the, the decisions you make. Your world has to change. You have to grow up. Or else you will be shackled by bad thinking, bad decisions, bad reasoning for the rest of your life. And we have a bunch of brothers in our society today who are stuck in perpetual adolescence. I call it the Peter Pan syndrome. I don't want to grow up. A time comes when you have to act like a man. Now it's interesting. There's another side to this passage that, I, I, that, that the Greek gives you. This line, act like a man, could be saying in the Greek that there's a standard of which men act like, act that way. That's one, that's one. Another way it could be is that if you're not acting like a man, at least put on the act like a man. 
It's saying that even if you don't feel like you're the man, act like it. Play the role. Play the role. I know that some dads have been absent and have done terrible things to their kids. And that template has become the thing that governs your life. And I would challenge you, at least put on a performance. Believe it or not, God will give you a special grace. If you're doing what God is asking you to do, out of obedience to him. Number four, be strong or grow in your strength. In these difficult times, not only courage, but strength is also needed. If we are going to withstand what it means to be a man, the task of being a man of God or a woman of God or a child of God is totally and completely impossible. What God is asking us to do in the Christian life is impossible for us. If anybody, if everybody could do it, everybody would be doing it, but they're not because it's impossible. If common sense was common, everybody would have it. What God is asking us, constantly asking us to do is impossible possible for us to do. So you're saying, should we just throw in the towel? No, I'm saying that we need to come to the place in our lives where we realize that our strength, what makes us strong is our weakness. Paul wrote that strength is made perfect in weakness. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And weakness is made perfect in humility. When you make yourself weak, you choose to be weak. This is so counterintuitive to the American idea of what it means to be a man. This whole idea that you could pull yourself up by your bootstraps, that you can do it on your own, that you can make it, you can make it if you try. That is such a lie if you apply that to the world of faith in Christ. People say, so what are you saying? You're saying that Christianity is a crutch? No, it's a wheelchair. In a crutch, I still have to do some work. But in a wheelchair, I rest in the strength and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to acknowledge, if we're going to ever be what God wants us to be, that I can't do it, Lord. I can't do it. I'm unable to pull this off by myself. Therefore, I need you. We need to acknowledge our total dependency on God. And when we confess that and acknowledge that, God shows up. Amen. I, I love the Christmas story. This angel, Luke chapter 1, shows up to Mary. 
He says, yo, you're highly favored. He says, the, the, the spirit of God is going to come upon you, and you're going to give birth to a child, and you're going to name him Jesus. And she says, well, time out, Jesus. Time out, God. Time out. Time out. How can this be? She had the birds and the bees lesson. She says, this doesn't work this way. How is this possible? You're telling me that I'm going to become pregnant with a child and I've never known a man. How can, that's, that doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work. And I know some of you are sitting here saying, oh, I'm supposed to be alert. And I'm supposed to stay in faith. I'm supposed to act like a man. I'm supposed to be strong. How can I do all of that? Pastor Bob, you're asking too much. I've messed up my life too far. I've made so many bad decisions. I got stuff in my life. It's impossible. And I give you the same words that God gave to Mary on that day when she looked at what God was asking her and said it was impossible. He said, for with God, nothing is impossible. God is saying, my business is impossible stuff. If I was going to do the possible, I wouldn't be God. But yet, I believe God constantly makes detours towards the impossible. That whether it's the Red Sea, or it's fire falling down from heaven, or it's bread from heaven, or water out of a rock, God is constantly pushing us to the place where he says, I'm going to do the impossible. And if you really believe that, if you really got this, it would increase your faith. Because you would start asking God for some bigger stuff. Impossible stuff. I want you to look around our church. Look around. We are in a process of change. Our community is in change. We need to change. We need to connect with our community. Our church has become more minority. Our community is more minority. We have to engage the poor, the disenfranchised, the broken. We have to proclaim the gospel to the lost. We have to heal the brokenhearted. We have to be the instrument that sets at liberty the captive. And you say, Pastor Bob, that's impossible. And I say, that's the way it's supposed to be. Because in humility, we should be crying out to God, Lord, have mercy on us. Show up in our presence and do the impossible so that you prove yourself to be God. We got to stop just thinking about doing what we can do. We got to start thinking about what we can't do that we can only do through the power and the presence of God. And you can increase and grow in your faith if you push your faith to the place where you're going to have to almost fall off the cliff and trust God. When the Fort Wayne School of Urban Ministry first started, we were given $10,000 from Love Church, the first big bucks we got was from Love Church. Ten grand. From their banquet, they gave it to us. And boy, that was good money. Oh, yeah. And we spent a little bit of it, got our website up, and did some other stuff. And then Love Church started having some financial problems. And I'm driving back from Indy one day, and the Lord said, give them the money. Give them back the money. So we wrote him a check and gave him back the money. And Love Church was saying, you know, Pastor Bob, if you give this, this is going to hurt you. I said, absolutely. We need this money. But we gave it away. And God showed up. 
And I don't know about you guys. You may be sitting here saying, man, I, I can't be the dad I need to be. I haven't paid child support in years. It's impossible for me to do it. It's impossible. God can show up. I haven't worked a real job in years. I wouldn't even know what to do. God will show up. We're living together and that's the only way we can afford to pay our bills. I'm going to tell you, God can show up. I'm addicted to drugs and alcohol and I don't know how to get rid of Pastor Bob, you don't know how hard it is. God will show up. He majors in the impossible. You can be strong in the face of your weaknesses because his grace, his grace is more than enough. And I'm telling you, in my own life, the times that God has been the closest, that God has been real, have always been those times when it was so dangerous and I was so helpless. And I didn't know where to turn. And I didn't have lofty prayers. Most of the time it's, oh Lord, have mercy on me. And his grace would show up. And his strength would come into my life. And I'd be able to hold on a little further than I thought I could hold on. And I became strong in him. Lastly, let all you do be done in love. Love is the true nature of God and it is also how we are to live. Christ commands us to love. He says, love the Lord. He says, love your neighbor. And when he means neighbor, he means especially those who are unlovable. Got to remember that. Love the Lord, but love your neighbor. Remember the context he says, who is your neighbor? He talked about the Samaritan. He says, love each other. I never forget I had a guy in counseling, a married couple when I was pastor, came to me in counseling, and they, and Margaret, I'm not, a, I'm a terrible counselor. I'm too direct. And they said, we want to get a divorce because we don't love each other. I said, the Bible, I turned to a guy and I said, you know, the Bible commands you husbands, love your wives. He said, I can't love her as a wife. I said, are you two still living in the same house? He said, yeah. Love your neighbor. <laughs> he says, I can't even love her as a neighbor. I can't stand her. I said, then you need to love your enemy. <laughs> and do good to those who despitefully use you. <laughs> he says, I don't even know if I can love her as an enemy. Then I said, then you will need to learn how to love. You will need to learn how to do it. You will need to learn how to love because God is love and he commands us, commands us to demonstrate his nature, that everything we do, we need to do it in love. Because love is from God. 
And when we love, especially unlovable people, we demonstrate God in the real world. I believe this love defines the believers. It defines us. It defines who we really are. How we love the least, the broken, the painful, the knucklehead defines who we are. Oh, it's so easy to love good people and nice people and clean people and whole people and rich people. But it takes the work of God to love the unlovable, to love the broken, to love the downcast, to love those who get on our nerves, who know how to push the buttons. When we love those kinds of folks, then we are demonstrating the character and the personality of God. And I got bad news for you, Harvester, that as our church grows and expands, we're going to have more and more of those people who require much more love. And it's going to require us to be more and more and more and more like God. You say this is impossible? Yeah, welcome to the club. Strength arises when I wait upon the Lord and call upon his name. This love thing is so crucial to us. And I wish, as a dad, I had told my kids and my wife and the people I really loved, I wish I had told them more that I love them. As I get older now, I pretty much end every phone call while I love you. I'm trying to make up for all the time I was just so busy doing the work of the Lord that I didn't say it. Let me tell you something. We have people outside this door. They ain't thinking a God thought. They haven't been to church in decades. And they need to hear the good news. The good news that the creator of the universe, the Lord of glory, loved them so much. He demonstrated his love by dying on the cross and rising from the dead that we can experience newness of life. In closing, Chuck Swindoll said, authentic men aren't afraid to show affection, release their feelings, hug their children, cry when they're sad, admit it when they're wrong, and ask for help when they need it. If you're a man or a woman or child of God right now, and all this seems impossible, ask for help. The Bible tells us that everyone 
who calls upon the name of the Lord. All who call upon the name of the Lord. No one, no one, no one goes away disappointed. Absolute guarantee. If you call to him, he will answer you and meet you where you are. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, especially since it's a lamp to our feet and a light to guide our paths. Help us, Lord, help us, Lord, to put our trust in you. And Lord, show up in our lives. And this we ask and we pray in your name. Amen.